Pivot to hear my conversation with Dustin Reed. We talk all about the recent Bank of Canada decision to hike 25 basis points and what that might mean for the future of monetary policy in Canada. We get hit a preview to the upcoming Fed meeting next week and what to expect from that. We also touch on broad economics and GDP, China and Japan. I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with our chief fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. Dustin, Happy New Year, and welcome back to the podcast. Happy New Year to you, and thanks very much for having me back. It's been some time since we had you on, and there's been lots that has happened during that time. Uh, I thought that we'd start today with probably the most relevant and most recent piece of information that we uh, currently have, which is the Bank of Canada hiking 25 basis points and seemingly signaling to the markets that they're uh, looking to pause. Uh, love your reaction to uh, to what you heard out of the Bank of Canada and uh, any surprises in the uh, actions that they took. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great uh, a great place to start. So. You know, the bank uh, this week opted to hike by 25, and um, the market was priced around uh, 19 or 20 basis points going in. Uh, so you know, clearly mo- mostly priced, uh, probably about 80% priced for a 25 basis point hike, so to speak. So that was pretty much in line with expected. Uh, this was a this is obviously a January meeting, and that's that's the that's a forecast meeting for the bank. So got a bunch of new numbers and outlooks and the monetary policy report, which has a lot of technical uh, stuff in it. But I think the big, the big pickup or takeaway from, uh, you know, from, from the announcement this week was, was the idea that the bank was giving, I would say more uh, direct for guidance and within that directness, so to speak, um, pretty, uh, pretty dovish, i.e. I would say that the bank is, as you were alluding to a minute ago, uh, alluding to that, uh, it, it probably is done hiking for now. Anyway, at this point in the cycle, um, the way I'm I'm couching it um, after speaking with a few people after the uh, after the announcement, I think the bank wants to be done. I think the bank mm-hmm. is comfortable to be to to be here at uh, at four and a half percent on the policy rate, which is clearly well above where the I think the bank thinks, and the bank has essentially stated where neutral is, or at least a range is, we're well above where I think the bank thinks neutral is and, and well into uh, restrictive territory. I mean, obviously, um, you know, th- this, this hiking cycle has been quick and, uh, and furious, right? We didn't even, we didn't even have one a year ago. And, uh, right. you know, so a lot of these hikes have not completely come through the system. I think we're just on the precipice now of seeing, um, some of these hikes really coming through the system. And obviously the housing market side is a little bit more real-time acting, but in terms of the actual real economy, so to speak, I think uh, you know, a, lot of these, a lot of this hasn't come through uh, entirely yet. And the bank is, I think, very aware of that and very cognizant of that. And the bank wants to um, see how things develop. I don't think it knows. I, don't, I, think, I think really nobody knows, right? It's been a pretty, pretty ferocious hike in rates off of zero. And... Uh, it wants to see. So I think this is, unless something really uh, odd happens between now and the March meeting, which is not a forecast meeting for the bank, uh, I think the bank is 
probably probably done here. Um, and the bank did give its usual caveat and say, you know, as, as long as things develop in line with how we, uh, you know, we have with how we currently have our outlook. And again, this this right. this most recent meeting did have uh, the new outlook. So as long as things develop uh, and evolve in that in that regard, and probably a little bit of uh, a little bit of give on either side. Then I think that the bank wants to be done, expects to be done. Where I think the bank would move uh, would be obviously if inflation uh, continued to chug along at a, a higher than anticipated rate. Um, but just kind of looking at the calendar, without getting into too much of the nitty gritty. But um, so it's a March. So it's a March meeting. The next meeting. There's only one official uh, Canadian inflation print between now when you and I are talking about the, uh, you know, doing doing the podcast and the, and the March meeting. So I, right. I wonder even if the even if the inflation number is a little bit higher than expected, is that really going to be enough to have the bank uh, ch- change its tune? From obviously, I'm sure it gave a lot of thought to this language in the statement. And the forward guidance about essentially signaling that it was effectively done for now, if not done, period. And uh, so, my point is, even with the calendar, with the calendar only having one inflation print between now and the and the next March meeting, how much of a trend, you know, so to speak, if you kind of put a, put a timestamp on on what's just happened here, and okay, now now how does it go X, you know, how does it go forward right. from here? It's tough to actually see that happen. So. I, this is not my base case by any stretch, but uh, it, I am sympathetic to the idea that they do nothing in March. And if the inflation data over the next couple of months doesn't necessarily go the bank's way, I eat higher. Um, the April meeting, I think, would be live, being that that is also a, a uh, forecast meeting. Again, that is not even close to my base case at this point. But if you Thank said you. to me, you know, what are the risk case? I would say I think the risk case of the bank doing nothing in March and then maybe coming back in April is probably slightly higher than the bank doing something in March, only because I think the calendar in terms of getting a new round of economic data that would cause it to move away from its most recent language would require that extra time. I think that, again, I think both of those paths are extremely, extremely unlikely, base case for us that the bank is done here. And right. now really the conversation needs to shift, I think, towards how much the market has priced into the back half of 23. And is that appropriate? And what we know, what is the starting point and, and all those good things and how does it impact markets? But for now, I think that's where that's where it's at. And the last thing I'll just say on the bank, unless you unless you want to follow up on anything, um, is that somewhat surprisingly, there was very little on the housing market. Yeah, I, I would have expected a little bit more commentary. Huh. Um, we didn't really get a lot, and, and to be totally fair, I'm not completely sure what that means. Um, I, I, I mean, I guess I guess it means that they they are not overly concerned about it. Uh, again, which I feel is probably going to be a little bit nonchalant when this is all when this is all said and done. I mean, sitting in Toronto, I'm obviously a little bit biased, and we're seeing a pretty significant. Um, Price declines and and, right. and supply issues, you know, within the GTA market, but obviously the country is experiencing somewhat somewhat similar uh, things, although maybe not to the same amplitude uh, around the Toronto area. Um, but I think the bank is, I think the bank will probably be uh, will probably be seen as when this is all said and done, a little bit 
uh, nonchalant about that. I think the housing market uh, slowdown is going to be relatively significant uh, for a while. Um, again, because we front loaded so many rate hikes, or at least the, the amount of rate hikes, uh, you know, so much so quickly that it has to work through the system. And clearly, you know, the housing market here is quite a bit different now uh, than it was than it was a year ago. So I, sure. I, I would like to see a little more commentary from the bank on where on where housing is at. But uh, yeah, for now, I think um, you know the bank doesn't seem doesn't seem to be overly concerned about. That's great, Dustin. Maybe just one follow up on uh, on Bank of Canada. You outlined your base case, which sounds like it's kind of in line with what the Bank of Canada is projecting at least till mid year. Mm. Uh, and then you said the conversation needs to shift to the second half of the year and in, in the trajectory of rates. Yeah. Um, wh- where do you say uh, stand compared to markets? Uh, are you is your base case uh, sort of reflected in markets, or is there that distinction there? That's a good question. I think. Um so the market's pricing around 55 or 60 basis points. Obviously, it's a traded market. It bounces around. But uh, of course, yeah. 55 or 60 basis points worth of easing by the bank in the second half of 23. So that's kind of where, where the market's at. I mean, my, my, view is, my view is generally that the bank can't be that, that far outside the Fed in terms of the actual peak and rates as well as the stop and start of, of the cycle. So okay. I still think it's possible for the Fed to ease rates in Q4 this year, um, and so you know, if I was if I was being relatively consistent, I think the bank is probably, I think something is possible for the Bank of Canada for later this year as well, Q4. I think the market is currently pricing it a little bit early, in my opinion, at least getting getting things going. Um, I mean, I think broadly speaking, it's going to not to be overly simplistic, but I think it's. I think things are going to develop probably one of one of two ways. Either the economy is going to remain going to hang in there more than a, a lot of people expect. Maybe not everybody expects, but a lot of people expect because the labor market remains pretty hot and uh, consumption is decent and, and that sort of thing. And so that would be kind of under the pathway of rates higher for longer, and uh, you know banks don't need to necessarily uh, ease rates anytime soon. The other side of it is, I would say that um, you know things things kind of fall away pretty quickly for whatever reason, um, and uh, and banks actually have to start easing rates a little bit quicker than what's priced in. My guess is, and I was actually just having this chat with a colleague this morning, um, fifty basis points in the round for either here or in the U.S. for easing for twenty three. My guess is not going to be the right number. My guess is it's going to be closer to zero or closer to 100 in kind of a modality perspective. But I think 50 is just kind of tweaking on the margin. Either I think things are going to be okay or things are going to be not great. And right. I think I think this and maybe 50 from, you know, in the round 55 is kind of pricing in, oh, I'm not sure which way it's going to go. So I'm going to take going to be halfway on the zero or 100 kind of outcome. And you could kind of sure. look at markets from that perspective, I don't think markets are that sophisticated to actually be pricing it in that that accurately. But I think that right. my guess is once we, you know, once we have this chat a year from now in Jan twenty four, that I'll be surprised if it was fifty. It'll either be probably closer to zero or closer to a hundred for the bank. So in some way, it's mispriced. If I, you know, us on the team now, I think, um, you know, I think we're having a lot of discussions around whether it should be. Um, 
you know, a soft landing, uh, a soft landing or not. Um, you know, I, I think that inflation is going to continue to fall away, but it's kind of under this idea we talked about a lot. Getting from eight um, to five is one thing. Getting from five to two is going to be another. Um, right. So I think that inflation falling completely away to back to target is going to be going to prove a little bit more challenging. So I'd still be fading this idea of um, big rate hikes later this year. And, uh, you know, I'd be on board for 25. I'm sympathetic to the idea of doing a 25 by the bank, uh, maybe at the October or the December meeting. And I think I think the same for the Fed, you know, maybe 25 at the uh, at the December meeting in terms of easing. Great. Uh, you, you spoke at the Fed a fair amount in that last answer, uh, talking more about the back half of the year. And you mentioned that the Bank of Canada probably can't get too out of line from the Fed. Yep. Um, what are you expecting from the Fed next week? Uh, the Bank of Canada, as I said, uh, you, you've uh, project being done. Do you think the Fed is is as close or, or what are your uh, what are your thoughts? So for a long time, we've expected the Fed to out hawk uh, the bank here. And I think that that is I think that that is going to be the case. Um, there are clearly some who are expecting the Fed to uh, either not, in fact, not even hike uh, next week or hike and effectively signal what the bank has just done here and say, you know, we're done with a little bit of optionality. I'm probably not, sure. I'm probably not on that page. I do think the bank will, I do think the Fed will hike um, next week. I think, I think uh, 25 to be fair. I think the March meeting is still very much live. I also think that's that's twenty. That'll be a twenty-five basis point hike, and then, you know, probably to be fair, a little bit more hawkish when we had this discussion six weeks ago, and I thought the May meeting would be a little more live. But clearly, um, the Fed speakers uh, over the last two or three weeks have have backed off of that a little bit. Even kind of traditional hawks um, have backed off the idea of maybe needing to go to- totally above five percent on. On, uh, on the Fed funds rate. So uh, it is very much a mixed bag, I think, in terms of where the Fed discussion has evolved. But um, I guess I, I haven't officially changed my call yet. So I'm still kind of three by 25 here. So February, March, May, but the May, the May, the May meeting uh, looks a little more suspect now than it, I would say, I would say six weeks ago, because I think the internal internal discussion is evolving and it's, it's somewhat surprising. So the Fed really, really spends a lot of time or has built built its its case and its models around the Phillips curve. And Phillips curve basically is just you know, trading off uh, inflation and employment in a way, and, uh, or at least wages and, uh, <clears throat> wages and inflation. So um, there is a growing – my understanding is there is a growing uh, – discussion within the Fed that, you know, we don't need to necessarily get the unemployment rate significantly higher because we think that inflation is falling away, not on its own, but somewhat organically without having to cause a lot of pain in the labor market and increase the unemployment rate from, you know, three and a half in the round to four and a half or even 5%. And that is... That is interesting to those of us that watch the Fed because that is generally not how the Fed has operated for in my career. That that is right. kind of a new way or a new lens of a new lens with which the Fed would be looking at how the reaction function to inflation might go. So that is really interesting, and I think we're right. 
literally right in the middle of it because this is mm-hmm. this tone has changed in the last two or three weeks and we have the meeting uh coming up in a few days so i think that um i think that this change in tone is coming like the question is going to be whether this is going to happen in february or or march but i think it's difficult for um given for the fed to not encapsulate some of the language or at least for powell to not encapsulate some of the language because the the number of senior members have talked about this in the last this idea of um of the labor market maybe not having as much impact on prices over the last over the last two or three weeks so i think that that's interesting because the fed hasn't necessarily looked at things that way before and or at least publicly done it and uh, I think that's interesting for markets because markets may not uh, be completely uh, comfortable or, or or know how to know how to really uh, trade that. Um, so right. I mean, one way the market could take that is that the Fed's making a mistake. Uh, that's that's a sure. policy error in making, and um, you know, and and then and then trade markets accordingly. Uh, the other the other way the market could trade that. Could trade that would be oh my gosh the Fed knows something uh, that that we don't and is obviously getting very very concerned and that would kind of go uh, you know kind of trade the other uh, the other direction which would kind of be more more uh, you know risk off for lack of a better term or or, or concerns about global risk sentiment um, the first would be oh the Fed is um, easing up and. Uh, it's good for asset prices, and maybe cuts are happening uh, earlier on the horizon, you know, and that sort of thing. So again, it's kind of kind of a, getting to a bit of a fork in the road here. Um, right. So I think that that's pretty. I think that's pretty interesting. So I, I think the Fed meeting coming up is 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 quite interesting from that from that regard. Regardless of what happens at the Fed meeting, uh, it's clear to me that um, the Fed is becoming more and more happy for lack of a better term and comfortable with uh the pace and the level of the inflation slowdown which is good and i think that um a couple a couple of fed speakers have mentioned this and i think this is what's on going to be on my radar for the next little bit looking at uh a three-month annualized figure for core pce uh i think is going to be really really interesting and if we're starting to see core pce slow to around three and a half, uh, on a uh, three and a half percent or or below, on a three month annualized basis, that could be enough of a. I don't want to say necessarily mission accomplished moment, but we we are getting a lot closer to where we want to be, right. where we can see the language uh, and tone uh, turn a little bit to be less hawkish and to actually stick. So that's where kind of. Putting that all together, that's why May, the May meeting, which I had uh, you know penciled in for twenty five, might be a bit, a bit more at risk here because if that if the if the data continues to come in on that side, you know the prices data continues coming on that side, the labor market stuff isn't for whatever reason, which I don't necessarily one hundred percent believe, but it's not about what I think; it's about what the Fed thinks. If the sure. if the labor market isn't going to be seen as a big of a deal, then you can see. Um, the Fed being done after February or after March, and then holding for a while and seeing, not dissimilar to Canada, all these rate hikes that have come through the system. Let's see how things develop over three or six months, and let's have a serious discussion. In I mean, it's always a serious discussion, but a really serious discussion 
in sure. uh, in September at that forecast round and see if that needs to, you know, where do we need to be for Q4 of, of 23 in terms of the pace of easing? So that's kind of how I'm looking at the Fed here for the next the next little bit. Um, but I think the meeting is interesting. And, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be, I think, I think there'll be quite a few takeaways, even though it's not it's not a forecast meeting for the Fed. That's great. And I know that we have you on just after that Fed meeting. So I'll hold my follow up questions uh, until until okay, next perfect. week uh, when we have a little bit more uh, sure. clarity. Uh, I did want to talk about some of the uh, GDP, GDP prints that we've seen uh, lately. They seem to have surprised to the upside. Uh, this is the case in the in the U.S. and and uh, more broadly as well. What's your view on sort of the economics and in the environment? And maybe this sort of uh, uh, ties in with some of the uh, comments that you had on labor market and how the, the Fed is thinking about that. Yeah, so I think uh, I think the growth trajectory is slowing globally. Clearly, North America for sure, uh, and in the U.S. We got we just got the uh, the Q four advance data out. Um, Today, as we're as we're recording the podcast, so rough, roughly in line, although the uh, the consumption the consumption line was was a little bit a little bit weaker than I think most people on the street uh, expected. Um, not not a not a huge surprise from my side. I mean, I would expect growth to be slowing again, kind of in line with what you would expect with a, a pretty big a pretty big increase in in rates over a relatively short period of time. It's going to crimp uh, consumption and that sort of thing. So I think we're I think we're seeing that. I mean, what what I think is really interesting, kind of beyond the the GDP data, although clearly related, is uh, at least in the U.S. side, is how the ISM data has really started to slow. Mm. And the manufacturing, right. so there's manufacturing ISM, and then there's kind of services ISM, which is obviously a bigger, at least a, a lens into a bigger component of the economy. And both have slowed very much, and the manufacturing side's obviously been below 50 here for a little bit. Um, right. And that is particularly the manufacturing side is generally seen as a decent leading indicator for overall economic activity and probably a little bit more real time than than the national accounts GDP data, which is which is not, not terrible, but but a little bit a little bit slower. I mean, it's it's January and we're getting Q4, which is good. Um, you know, the Canadian data is always a little more lag. I think we probably don't we probably won't get Q4 data out of Canada until late February or early March. I'm not sure where the date is, but it's it's at least a month later, so it's a little bit it's even more rearview mirror when we get the Canadian data. But the ISM data out of the US, um, manufacturing and non-manufacturing or manufacturing and services is um, is clearly slowing. And I think that um, there are there are parts within that, not all, but parts within that that are Moving at a pretty decent clip that a lot of the hard landing folks uh, are, are, are gravitating towards and pointing at and saying, you know, look, look, this is this is clear, this is clearly right. an issue. So um, I think you know, I think for twenty three, we're, we're likely to have slower growth in North America, so both Canada and the U.S. I think we're likely to have slower GDP growth, real growth, um, in twenty three versus twenty two. Um, you know, rate hikes uh, and and tighter financial conditions, broadly speaking, w- would suggest that that's happening. And I think that, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that are unknowns, right? I think the banks don't necessarily know, and uh, I think it's tough for people that are you know pure economists, also, you know, which I I did in my former life, but not necessarily as much now. But I think it's tough because you've got so much, so many rate hikes in a relatively quick period of time. Uh, the technology is very, very different now in terms of society 
versus when when this has happened uh, previously. And I would say that the lagged impact of monetary policy, you know, kind of when I was learning all this and going through school and, you know, in my 20s, people would generally say, you know, four to six quarters in terms of monetary policy lag. I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily wrong, but I think that it's, I think it's on the early end of that uh, at this point. And I think that the lag, because society, I think, moves at a very different pace now than when, you know, a previous generation or generation and a half ago. And I think that um, some of these things can can work through really quickly. So I think we're just on the cusp of that that period of time, so to speak. So I think Q1, Q2 this year, the first half of this year will be very telling and could have, you know, could have a number of surprises on the output, on the output side. And I think that, you know, I'm paying, I'm paying a lot of attention. I mean, obviously to the prices side too, but a lot of attention to the output side, because if the output activity falls very quickly, uh, I think the market is going to react to that in a very outsized way. We spent so much time, and rightly so, but so much time on the prices side, right, for a couple of years here because of the obvious. Um, that the, sure. that a lot of people, I think, have not necessarily focused as much on the on the output side. So things like ISM or growth or surveys and, and that sort of thing. And I think that now that inflation appears to be at least from a headline perspective, but uh, appears to be coming lower. And you can argue how quickly it's it's slowing. But I think the market is going to give, as we run through the data sets, month to month, quarter to quarter, more, the market day to day, week to week is going to have more volatility around the output data than the than the prices data. So I think that, and not to completely ignore the prices data, it's still obviously very important, but um, but I think that's a really interesting little theme. Maybe not doesn't last forever, but a little a little interesting theme that's going to be with us for, you know, for a quarter or two. So when you see the GDP data, back to your question, you know, today I think it's really I think it's really interesting because, um, you know, I, the number was essentially in line with consensus, so it didn't give necessarily a lot of scope for a lot of volatility. But I can see activity data that misses either high side or downside, but particularly downside almost being asymmetrically skewed for how the market reaction. And then it kind of goes back to where I was a couple of minutes ago. Um, the, the market, I think, from a, from a risk sentiment perspective, could uh, trade off and, and you know, sell off from a high beta perspective if, uh, if this activity data misses on the downside. It's almost heads I win, tails you lose. And it's, if it comes in above right. expected, it's, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Uh, but I bet you it's going to, come off a bit next month or next quarter but if it comes right. in below expectations particularly well below expectations then i think the market can easily say oh wow here we go and it's almost an asymmetric reaction function so i think it's an interesting i think it's an interesting period here for how how the thematics have switched and we've seen that a little bit too in this idea of um it's early very early but this idea of you know does bad equal bad? I.e., does bad econo- does right. bad economic news or bad output news or activity news? Does that is that bad for earnings? Is that bad for sentiment? Is that bad for consumption and growth? Um, and do markets trade like that um, as opposed to does bad news equals good news? I.e., you know, you get the bad you get the bad news, so to speak, and then policymakers are going to come to the rescue. And I think that. We could be right. on the cusp, although it's very early, of a thematic rotation away from bad is bad to bad is, sorry, excuse me, from bad is good to uh, to bad is bad. 
And, uh, and that's kind of what I mean about the activity data. So it's an interesting question. I think it's worth people, you know, investors, uh, keeping, keeping that in mind here for the next little bit. That's great. Uh, just, uh, uh, maybe I'll turn the segment over to think, thinking about Asia specifically. Um, and, uh, really the two big economies in Asia, both, uh, Japan uh-huh. and China, uh, have both been fairly interesting, uh, over the, since we've had, last had you on, uh, with, a. Bank of uh, Japan uh, coming out and surprising markets by allowing a little bit more flexibility in their in their yield curve, and then surprising markets yet again by by not uh, by sticking right. with that that, uh, yeah. that ban. Um, it seems like markets have a tough time with Bank of uh, Japan. Love your view on that, and then maybe some comments on China. Yeah, for sure. So I think the the Japan uh, decision came out a, a few days after you and I did our our last podcast together. So I was. Yeah. I was a little bit surprised on BOJ. We had we had penciled in um, March or April for for something to get done in terms of a yield curve control tweak, um, and and the bank came out and obviously did something in December, which was yeah, a bit of a surprise to us and probably a bit of a surprise to the market. Um, the bank uh, at the time, and not to not to look rearview mirror the whole time, but the bank at the time uh, couched it basically as a market functioning issue uh, and not a fundamental issue. So really not acknowledging the increase in the domestic inflation rates, but essentially saying that markets are, some of the domestic bond markets are, are broken. There's not enough liquidity and functionality and we need to, you know, we need to address this. So we're going to change the cap of our uh, uh, yield curve uh, from uh, 25 basis points to, to 50 basis points. So that was kind of the the idea behind doing it. I, you know, is that you know, are they being somewhat disingenuous? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think sure. You know, I think clearly there's a market functionality issue. So I don't think it's I don't think it's incorrect, but it's probably not the entire story. Too uh, clearly, the um, the domestic inflation numbers have started to move higher. Um, so there's probably a little bit of that, but but the bank obviously wanted to focus on. Uh, the market functionality, and then yeah, in January after the turn of the year, we um, we kind of had a, a nothing done when a number of people had expected the bank to maybe continue on that path that it did in December. We we actually after the December meeting, we we were going into it without with with expectations of the bank not doing anything. So we've had this uh, uh, futures trade on for for quite a while. This Japanese uh, government bond futures trade on for. Uh, while and you know we continue to trade um, around that uh, and around kind of where we think the market is from a positioning perspective, where we obviously think the bank's going to go, and obviously within the broad constraint of the portfolio and uh, and overall risk, uh, you know, appetite, etc. So um, that's been really interesting. Uh, a few of us actually stayed up late for the uh, <laughs> for the January meeting until uh, until a uh, little pa- little past midnight, kind of uh, trading the futures. Um, which was all, which is always a good exercise when you're when you're uh, when you're staying in uh, in North America or standing in North America. So uh, it's it's good to do that <laughs> once in a while. It keeps it uh, keeps keeps you engaged on uh, on all these trades, which is uh, which is important. So, but going forward here, um, it's you know clearly they're going to get a new governor. Uh, there's a, a short list of say two or three, maybe four uh, governors. I think um, there's some talk that the, the Bank of Japan could get a, a hawkish governor, which would change. Uh, the yield curve control stuff, obviously, pretty pretty significantly. Uh, it's still TBD, I think, who is going to do that. But to me, I think a lot of people are getting a little too wrapped up in who's going to be the next governor story. Um, 
Because I think when you step back and you look at global rates and where things are at, I mean, Japan clearly looks very out of step. Um, the sure. policy rate is still minus 10 basis points. I mean, it's still a negative. You know, Swiss have moved and they were very negative for a long time. Euro, Euros moved, Eurozones moved, ECB's moved. I mean, everybody's moved, right? Um, so the bank, the bank of Japan looks a bit, a bit out of step here. Um, and, uh, and, and frankly, I think there's a, a lot of pressure on the market to, or by the market, I should say, on the bank to increase the ceiling. So we're looking for uh, a change in the yield curve control target to 75 basis points, um, either at the March or at the April meeting. And I would not be surprised if we were at 100 basis points uh, or, or they dump it entirely by the summer. I also think that rate hikes are very, very likely here this year. And again, would not be totally surprised if we saw small tweaks. So maybe 10 basis points to start from, so getting from minus 10 to zero, and then maybe another 10 right. basis points from zero to plus 10 uh, throughout the summer months and into the fall. And, you know, it, it could even, it could even be more, uh, it could even be uh, more, more quickly than that. But I, but I do think that uh, things are going to normalize. When you look at the inflation data, in Japan, uh, the national numbers are running. The headline national numbers are running around four percent, and then uh, and the super core numbers, the way they look at it, are, are running um, a little bit uh, a little bit below three percent. And I mean, they're not they're not massive inflation numbers, although kind of on a relative basis for Japan, they're they're pretty you know they're 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 a little bit frothy. Nothing nothing crazy, sure. but um, a little bit frothy. The big deal for Japan now is going to be what they call the Shunto, um, uh, which is basically the wage negotiations, which are happening later this month into February and maybe into early March. And kind of the key number to watch there is 3%. If the, the wage negotiations in Japan, and they generally come in around 1%. So if the wage negotiations are, it looks like corporations are increasing wages at you know close to 3%, 3% above 3%. That to me is going to be a telltale sign that the bank and, and probably the, the the government, Ministry of Finance, really wants to uh, move forward with getting rid of some of this uh, yield curve control policy and and probably raise rates. Um, if we see one or one and a half percent on the wage negotiations, that so uh, that that could that could be a, a slightly different a different path, and I would be. Probably, although not necessarily, I'd probably be early on this March or April discussion. But I think there's there's more to it than the the wage negotiations. But but it is clearly a major event for the bank and uh, trying to figure out where you know where where policy is going to go. So I would keep an I would keep an eye on that going forward. Um, so we still like it. We still like those trades, and we still like being um, okay. kind of short, short the, the future, so to speak. Um, so looking for prices, lower yields, higher, i.e. getting to 75 you know, basis points and then 100 uh, type thing. So we've had it on for a long time. And uh, like I said, uh, continue to continue like that trade. On the China side, um, obviously, in- incredibly important and interesting uh, change in the zero COVID policy and, and massive impacts on society and the economy. I mean, the, sure. the tagline that we've been using for most of Q4, and I think I may have said it last time on the podcast, is um, you know we didn't we didn't believe that China could afford to have a 2023 like 2022, and uh, this real real GDP growth target of five and a half percent for for China um, is is very I think I think 
they're really going to try and get there and, and maybe even above that to the high fives. And um, that's going to take a lot of uh, monetary and fiscal uh, injections into the economy. Uh, and you're seeing it already. You've seen it already. And I think you're going to continue to see it. I don't think that China can really afford to have uh, as slow a real growth year this year as it did in, in 22. And, uh, and that, although sounding simplistic, it, it, it really underscores the base of everything in terms of zero COVID, uh, injecting liquidity into the property market, um, right. you know, equity market, uh, how it conducts, how the PBOC, the People's Bank of China, how it conducts monetary policy, uh, some of these other tweaks from a fiscal perspective, maybe on the tax side uh, or other things. But I think I think that it all kind of stems from this idea of we don't think they can have a, a 23 like 22. And I think you're seeing that. Uh, it's obviously having a pretty decent impact on commodities. Copper's had a good run here and a number of others have. Right. Um, and it's helped cut off, as we would say, uh, kind of, you know, on a, on a finance side, it cuts off a little bit of the left tail risk uh, for global growth. And by that, I mean the hard landing for global growth. Obviously, if China is really trying to up its game on the growth side, um, the overall growth numbers for 23 probably have a little bit less downside on, on the margin. So that's been that's been a little bit more challenging over the last couple of months in terms of you know, people, I think, were very much skewed uh, towards hard landing for 23. Not everybody, but a lot of people. Right. And a lot of people of that set have backed off partially because of the China story uh, and the evolving China story. So I think, um, and so I think going forward here, the, you know, the China story obviously remains, remains very important for global growth outlook, global resentment, how markets trade, uh, commodities, that sort of thing. So uh, you know, we, we are, you know, we were very constructive on China, um, kind of making this change in early to mid um, November, probably before many in the market thought. And we had added a fair bit of um, local market, uh, uh, local market emerging debt to our portfolios, not only the global portfolio and our unconstrained fund, but also even in our, our core funds, because it was uh, it mm-hmm. was such a strong view for us, and that's had a really good run. Uh, I think I think the team's done you know a great job a great job with that. Um, and but a lot of it, you know, at some point, a lot of it gets to be in the price, as as you say, and you know, and then it's okay. Sure. Well, how much you know how much longer is this going to go? A lot of it's in the price. Do we, you know, do we still see the risk the same risk rewards from here? And obviously, dynamics change, etc. So. You know, while I still like the view from a fundamental perspective, if I'm being totally fair, the markets moved a lot in two plus months, two and almost two and a half months. Obviously, uh, when you look at that, um, so a lot is in the price. So, you know, w- would you, if you had nothing on, you know, as, as as sometimes we say here, you know, if you had nothing on, would you do it now? When you when you have these trades that are on already in terms of helping to monitor, if you had nothing on, would you do it now at the same risk reward? Probably not would be the answer to kind of my own question. Um, you know, loved it two and a half months ago because of where the valuation was, but now it's not as not as appealing. So fundamentally, I still like the story. I think it still makes a lot of sense. But, you know, would I be, you know, overweighting uh, emerging market local debt here? Uh, eh, pro- probably Probably not. If I did, I'd be exceptionally be exceptionally cautious with it. But that's been kind of our trade and how to message the China trade on the back of um, 
you know, what's been happening there the last two or three months, which has obviously been significant. Obviously, Lunar New Year now. Um, and we'll see if the bank decides to do something significant. People's Bank of China, Central Bank, uh, do something relatively soon after after Lunar New Year, whether that's a monetary policy decision or the government decides to do something on the fiscal side. But yeah, I think there's um, I think there's potentially more scope there. So if valuations recede for whatever reason, I think that I would I would absolutely take another look at that uh, again. But uh, you know, for now, I think that's had a that's had a pretty good run, and we're we're pretty happy with that. Dustin, uh, thank you so much for spending uh, so much time with me, catching us up uh, on the previous six or so weeks that have gone by. Uh, and uh, I look forward to our next conversation, which is going to be happen a lot more quickly uh, just next week. And we'll get your reaction to the Fed uh, as well as maybe into some more on uh, what you're doing in the portfolios or what the team is doing in the portfolios. Sure. So, Dustin, thanks so much. And uh, we'll speak with you soon. That sounds great. Thanks very much. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.